Psalm 90. A prayer of Moses, the man of God. Lord, you have been our dwelling place throughout all generations. Before the mountains were born, or you brought forth the whole world. From everlasting to everlasting, you are God. You turn people back to dust, saying, return to dust, you mortals. A thousand years in your sight are like a day that has just gone by, or like a watch in the night. Yet you sweep people away in the sleep of death. They are like the new grass of the morning. In the morning it springs up new, but by evening it is dry and withered. We are consumed by your anger and terrified by your indignation. You have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your presence. All our days pass away under your wrath. We finish our years with a moan. Our days may come to 70 years, or 80 if our strength endures. Yet the best of them are but trouble and sorrow, for they quickly pass and we fly away. If only we knew the power of your anger. Your wrath is as great as the fear that is your due. Teach us to number our days, that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Relent, Lord. How long will it be? Have compassion on your servants. Satisfy us in the morning with your unfailing love, that we may sing for joy and be glad all our days. Make us glad for as many days as you have afflicted us, for as many years as we have seen trouble. May your deeds be shown to your servants, your splendor to their children. May the favor of our Lord God rest on us. Establish the work of our hands for us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. And we finish our reading there knowing that God will bless to us the public reading of his word. Let's just commit ourselves in prayer, seeking God's guidance and wisdom through his spirit as we look at his word together. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. Not only are you God, but you are also our Redeemer. Lord, you are the one who has brought us back to life from the pit because you brought Jesus Christ, our Lord and Saviour, the one who died for our sins on the cross, you brought him back to life. Lord, in him we have life. In him is the light of the world. Lord, help us to see that light clearly here this afternoon. Lord, reveal Christ to us from the pages of Scripture. Lord, make known to us the promises of your word, so that we may know your truth and that we may leave here not only acknowledging who you are, but praising and glorifying your name. Lord, speak to us now, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. This is my hometown, Ballywalter. Why I love this place isn't because of the slow pace of life, a lot slower than London. Or the beauty of the tranquility that we often take for granted um, living by the sea and um, where we always see the sun rising over the shore. Now a lot of the time I miss Ballywalter because it's the people that make the place what it is. The characters who live there, the community spirit and the sense of belonging. It's where I grew up. It's where I went to school. 
It's where I lived for over 30, year, 30 years until I came here. And it's where my sister has lived all her life. She got married there. She has stayed there. She is raising a family there. You know, we always identify our homes with some milestone or feature that sets that place apart from anywhere else. For the people of Israel in the Old Testament, they quickly identified their home as Jerusalem. Home was where their king was. Home was where the temple was. And home was where God was. But as we come to this part of the Psalms, as Peter has explained to us already earlier, there is a hidden narrative which explains the arrangement of these songs in the book. I don't know if you've ever opened up the Psalms and you've kind of wondered why it can feel a bit random at times. But these Psalms are not randomly put together. They actually give us a story of how God's people responded to him in their everyday lives as part of their praise and worship. And as we look at Psalm 90 this afternoon, you might notice a wee note in your Bible that says this is the beginning of book 4. But this psalm is also a prayer of Moses. So it's not linear in its time frame. But its importance is key as whenever the identity of God's people is in crisis. They go back to Moses' prayer that was taught to them in order to remind them of a particular truth. Now let's think about this a little bit deeper as we get our heads around the context. So the Psalms are split into five books. And book three, which is um, Psalm 73 to Psalm 89, its theme is mostly about exile. For example, um, Psalm 79 verse 1 says, O God, the nations invaded your inheritance. They have defiled your holy temple. Psalm 83 verse 4 speaks of God's enemies, the Babylonians, whom we read about in 2 Kings. And the Babylonians say, Come, they say, let us destroy them as a nation, so that Israel's name is remembered no more. God's people are suffering here. And in Psalm 88, they are crying out day and night before God. And as they reflect on a prayer from David in Psalm 86, who also faced a period of exile when he was on the run from Saul. And as we come to the end of book 3 here, Psalm 89, we see that although God is faithful, that he has promised that David's line will never leave the throne, and that through God comes strength, righteousness, and judgment, there is a problem here. This problem is that the judgment is not turned towards the enemies of Israel. The judgment is turned, in fact, towards Israel. Look at verse 38 here onwards of Psalm 89. But you have rejected, you have spurned. You have been very angry with your anointed one. You have renounced the covenant with your servant. You have defiled his crown in the dust. You have broken through all his walls and reduced his strongholds to ruins. All who pass by have plundered him. He has become the scorn of his neighbors. You have exalted the right hand of his foes. You have made all his enemies rejoice. Indeed, you have turned back the edge of his sword 
and have not supported him in battle. You have put an end to his splendor and cast his throne to the ground. You have cut short the days of his youth. You have covered him with a mantle of shame. Selah. What we see here in these verses is that there is no king in Israel or in Judah. God is absent from his temple as the Babylonians came in 2 Kings and they raided the temple and they completely destroyed it. And the exiled are taken from their homes and removed from Jerusalem completely and relocated to Babylon. They have lost their homes. They've lost their temple. They've lost their God. They have lost their identity. And so the psalmist and the original listeners to this song are asking a question. How long, Lord? How long, Lord? How long will you hide yourself forever? Now, how often do we honestly feel like saying that ourselves when we're suffering and struggling in our situation? And that's not to say that you're struggling because of your actions. In fact, it's quite the opposite sometimes. You could be suffering because of someone else and their actions. You could be suffering because you didn't make sinful decisions, but maybe unwise decisions, and they've come back to bite you somehow. Or you could be suffering because the reality of life is that life sometimes sucks. That's it. It's hard. It's not easy. It'll bite you time and time again. It'll put you down. And when that happens, we find ourselves echoing the words of Psalm 89. How long, O Lord? How long? Where is your steadfast love of old? How long will your wrath burn like fire? There's despair and brokenness here. And yet in this pain and sadness, the psalmist can still say at the end of Psalm 89, Praise be to the Lord forever. Amen and Amen. So what's this got to do with anything? Well, as we come to the end of book four of Psalms, we see that there's no mention of a king or anyone in David's line. The exiled have lost the hope, their hope in the king being their identity. And so when we look at Psalm 90, we normally think of this as a psalm about death. But we also see here that in this psalm, the people no longer hope in the promises that God gives to his people but they learn that hope is to come from God himself. This prayer of Moses was probably written towards the end of his time in the wilderness after God rescued his people from Egypt, but kept them in the wilderness because of their complaining. And so this is towards the end of his life. And this is a prayer that comes from someone who has no idea of home. No idea at all. But this is also a prayer for the exile who are looking to refocus their hearts and their mindset as they've lost their idea of a home. And it's a prayer for us today, too. So with that in mind, let's see what we can take away from this here today. The first point I want to bring from um, Psalm 90 today is this. God will always be an eternal home for his people. God will always be an eternal home for his people. And when we look at verses 1 to 2 here of Psalm 90, we see that this is the home that God had made for his people. The home wasn't the city they were exiled from. 
The home wasn't the place that Moses was promised to bring the people into or the home that he left in Egypt. The dwelling place God gives to his people is himself. Every generation who knew God and God himself knew found that no matter where they went, God was with them. And because God was with them, they found their home. The God he gives himself to be a dwelling place for his people is characterized in creation language here. Look at verse 2 with me. Verse 2 says, Before the mountains were born, or you brought forth the whole world. And what's being said here is that this deity is not just in charge of one thing. He is in charge of all things. He created all things. And because he created and owns all things, he is God and he is Lord. But he's not God for a season and he's not God for a limited window of time. Look at verse 2. From everlasting to everlasting, he is God. And so the conclusion that's implied in this is that in the same way God has been a dwelling place for every generation, whether it's Moses, whether it's Joshua, David, or God's remnant people, the exiled, he will continue to be a dwelling place for his people, even though they're in Babylon, even though they're far away from Jerusalem. He will always be a dwelling place because God is an eternal home for his people. You know, they say that home is where the heart is. For me, to be honest, my heart will never leave Northern Ireland. It's home. But in all honesty, my heart should never leave the one who first loved me. And so whenever we find ourselves cut off from meeting in person because of sickness or because we're dragged away from church, can we get annoyed? Yeah. I remember during back in lockdown, I don't want to mention the, the curse word of that. Of that. But when we, were in, when we were in that dreaded L word and we couldn't meet in person, I was so frustrated. I was annoyed. But did it stop us from worshipping God? Well, if we realise that it's not where we find ourselves on a Sunday that causes us to worship, but the realisation that God is eternally with his people then we can worship him wherever we find ourselves. Whether it's in home, whether it's in the streets. We could be forced into isolation once again. We could be shut off from the world just like the exiles were. But when we realize that God is our dwelling place, because he is our Lord, then God is where our hearts should be. This dwelling place or home is a place of security and protection. It's a place of sustenance and rest. It's a place of stability and assurance for our souls. And because of these things, God is our eternal dwelling place. But as I've already mentioned, how often do we find that we identify with our hometowns or the places that we come from as our permanent home instead? Well, to place confidence or assurance in these things is unwise. Places change. Faces change in the community. Someday I might go home and Ballywalter might not be full of people from Ballywalter anymore. They might be people from Belfast, perish the thought. 
I can't say that. My granny's from Belfast. <laughs> but London will change over the years too. And we are changeable in our nature as well. We age. We ache. We decay. And we see this in the second point of the psalm, the second portion. God will always be an eternal home. But our earthly home will fade because of sin. And when we look at verses 3 to 10, we see a major contrast between God and ourselves. God is eternal and everlasting. He is the Lord of everything. He made the earth and the world. But in verses 3 to 10 here, Moses meditates on the brevity of life. Look at verses 3 to 4 with me. God takes from us the life he has given. For God, time is no hindrance. Verse 4. A thousand years in your sight are but as yesterday when it is past. God has watched empires come and go. Changes and revolutions in society have both evolved and devolved. But to the eternal God, it's just like yesterday. Verses 5 to 6. Our lives are compared like the seasons and our dreams. We can live full lives in our sleep and when we wake up they are quickly forgotten about. And like the grass that is renewed each morning, it flourishes at sunrise and it is gone at sunset. And the reason for this short-lived life that we have is because in verse 7 here, look at it with me. Verse 7, and Moses says, We are consumed by your anger and we are terrified by your indignation. Now, just as we thought about the mercies of God in verses 1 to 2, that he is a dwelling place for every generation, well, why would he then go and wipe his people out? Well, going back to Psalm 83, why would God allow his people to be wiped out by the enemy? The answer is here in verse 8. God sets our iniquities and sins before us all. Those we live out in the daytime and those we hide in secret at night. God exposes them with his light that he shines upon us. And even those things that we hide in the recesses and the darknesses of our soul, they're all exposed by him. Nothing is hidden. We are completely sinful and corrupt to the bone. And if we were to live forever, then we would cause catastrophic damage to the world and to ourselves and to others around us. Sin plagues us all. And so in verses 9 to 10, we see that God limits the lifespan of humanity. Our days end in verse 9 with a sigh. Most of us reach 70 to 80 years, maybe more. Moses, um, as he made this prayer, he, it says that he was full of life in Deuteronomy. And yet he died whenever he was 120. But his body didn't let him down. Deuteronomy chapter 34, it says to us that his eyes weren't weak and his strength wasn't gone. But even Moses, who is called the man of God in this prayer, he felt God's wrath because he was sinful and he paid the price for it in not entering the promised land. When we consider who we truly are before God, we have to ask ourselves the question, who wants to live forever. And yet, 
If you go on the news, you have billionaires like Jeff Bezos, like Peter Thiel. They're reported to be pouring billions and billions of pounds and dollars and other currencies into anti-Asian technology. And medical experts are constantly working day by day to try and prolong life on earth. But no matter what we try to do, whether we eat right, we live right, we exercise daily, we relentlessly go running, we try to live with as little stress as possible. The problem is we cannot outrun or escape death. It is the great equalizer in all our lives. Johnny Cash puts it best. You can run on for a long time, but sooner or later, God's going to cut you down. Christopher Ash puts it this way. We who in our integration can think, walk, talk, love, make, desire and delight will one day be taken apart cell by cell, atom by atom and returned to dust. One day the creator will say to you and to me, return to dust you mortals and on that day we will die. Death is God's final no to pride. And as much as we like to wish it wasn't so, time is not on our side. We are finite creatures who ache, who age, and we decay because we've been separated from him who is eternal and everlasting. Our lives are a mist that appears, as James says in chapter 4 of his letter. It's here for a little while, and then it vanishes. And once we realize first who we truly are, we must realize that God's judgment and wrath looms over us because of our sin. And so just as the psalmist Moses acknowledges in verses 11 to 12, we must learn to fear God correctly. Do not be terrified of him, so much so that you are frightened still, but fear him in awe of who he truly is. And in doing so, Say these same words. Teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. This wisdom should not teach us to build our lives based upon um, the confidence of this world. We must learn to number our days. We must learn to think about the time that we have here before our earthly home, our bodies fade away. And so the question is this, how do we make the best use of that time? Is it about checking off that bucket list? Is it spending as much time with the ones you love? Well, with wisdom, we must learn to live with humility. Humility that comes from knowing our true sinful nature. Wisdom that comes from recognizing our shortcomings and weaknesses and inability to do anything well. And wisdom that teaches us to acknowledge that it's only through knowing God that we can live prosperous and satisfied lives. And so if our earthly homes, our bodies will perish because we are sinful. And if God is to be an eternal home for his people, then we must recognize in our last point that only God can satisfy us if we come to him. Only God can satisfy us if we come to him. To him. And it must have been hard for Moses to pray this prayer as he knew that he was coming towards the end of his life. 
And for those in exile who are suffering, they thought that God had abandoned them completely along with his promises. We've seen this in Psalm 89. We find the same question here being asked in verse 13 of Psalm 90. Relent, Lord, how long will it be? How long, O Lord? But instead of the psalm crying out to a God who isn't there, when we look at the last few verses, verses 13 to 16, we find that God is here and before him comes a plea of mercy and repentance. And in this repentance, there is a longing for satisfaction and for joy. And so in the same way that the grass is renewed each morning, back in verse 5, look at verse 14. It says, satisfy us in the morning with your unfailing love that we may sing for joy and be glad all our days. Even though our days pass away with an end and a sigh, and back in verse 9, look at verse 15 with me. And it says, make us glad for as many days as you have afflicted us and for as many years as we have seen trouble. Moses is calling for God to act in mercy, to turn away his wrath. And in all his doing, his people will see his kindness and his goodness. And his power is seen not just by his people here, but is seen by their children. It's seen by their children's children. And, and, and keep on going here until we get to the exiles in Babylon. And it'll keep on going from there. It'll keep on going to their children and to their children's children. You see, the God that Moses calls out to here is not a constantly changing God. He isn't fickle or arbitrary with what he says and he does. Moses knew him to be the rock whose work is perfect and all his ways are justice. He is a God of faithfulness and without iniquity. He is just. And upright. Therefore, even though the people still feel lost, God is still their dwelling place. He is still with them always, even in exile. He's not hiding from his people, but rather he is still working. Even when things feel silent, like God isn't there, he is still at work in the silence. And he is never farther than an earshot away in prayer. Despite man's sinfulness, God still gives him plenty to enjoy in life and plenty to rejoice about. And more importantly for God's people, for those who exalt him as Lord, they can pray with confidence that God's favor or grace will be upon them. And he will establish the works of their hands for his glory. The people in exile realize this. And even though we don't have time to go into Psalm 91, this is a response, by the way, to Psalm 90. You can read it for yourselves when you go home later this evening. We find here in Psalm 91 that those who dwell in the shelter of God the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. God will be their salvation. He will protect his people. And he satisfies them with long, fruitful life. And so Moses closes his prayer in verse 17 with these words. May the favor, or if you take that word from the Hebrew, it translates as also beauty or delight. May the favor of the Lord our God rest on us. Establish the works of our hands. Yes, establish the work of our hands. 
And so as we come to a close of this psalm, the people in exile can take confidence because God is with them. Because his favor or delight is upon them. And they can cry out to him in prayer. They can live for him. And he will bless them as they look to serve their God as his people with confidence that he never left them. In every generation, he is always their God. And they are always his children. As we think about what this means for us today, the first thing is that our hope and rest too comes in the unchanging God who never left his people. But in fact, he humbled himself to come among his people. The God we worship is Emmanuel. He is the God who is with us. He is the God who veiled himself in flesh and he was called Jesus. For he is our salvation. And it is in Jesus we find our dwelling place, our home. So if you're weary this afternoon, if you feel like you're tired and you need rest, well, come home. Come to Jesus. Come to Christ, who offers himself as a resting place for your souls. Abide in him. And as you abide in his shadow, he will refresh your soul. But he will also establish the work of your hands and your life will have meaning. It will have value. It will have significance. If you belong to Christ here today, he will care for you. He has already dealt with your sin that holds you accountable to God in judgment through his death on the cross. And you no longer need to strive to please him. You don't have to rely on the works of your hands that come from your corrupted self. God's delight upon you is found in Christ Jesus who cares for you. And although God and Christ are not here in body at the present, God's presence is always with you through the Holy Spirit who is at work within you. And as we are united in spirit and truth, Our hope is not found in the strength we draw alone from one another. Our hope stems from the one who has paid for the wrath of sin in full. He has defeated death. He has conquered the grave and he reigns. And his spirit in our hearts encourages us to look to him and to point others to him. Now that kind of work will never leave a statue or a monument here on this earth but it'll have the impact of eternal value upon someone's soul. So come home. Come to home to live in and with Christ. Our hope is in him. Our home is with him. And our identity is found in him. As we come to a close, we have seen these truths. God will always be an eternal home for his people. Our earthly home will fade because of sin. And only God can satisfy us if we come to him. And just like the exiles in Babylon, we can echo this prayer for ourselves today as we find ourselves exiles in this world, waiting for the day when we can return to our true home to be with Christ our King in eternity. But in the meantime, we seek the welfare of the community around us. We serve in this community as Grace Church Broccoli to know Jesus and to make Jesus known here. 
And in the same way, Moses led the people and sang, The Lord is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. This is my God and I will praise him. My Father's God, I will exalt him. From each and every generation. We can sing this today. Because Jesus is our strength. He is our song and salvation. And he is our God. Life is short and life is frail. But Christ our God is our eternal home. And Christ our God is our everlasting hope. Both in life and in death. Let me pray.